Uh, tonight we continue our class on the Hall of Faith. If you're joining us, listening online for the first time, or if you're here for the first time, we've been going through Hebrews 11, talking about individuals who exemplify faith, what it means to live by faith, what it means to trust in God, what that looks like uh, for us in our life. We haven't studied every single person in this list, but we've studied a good number of them. And uh, tonight we continue that study. To enter into a Hall of Fame, typically, you have to have some achievements or statistics to even be in the discussion, especially with sports. Like, just to even get talked about, there has to be some discussion. Um, And while the men and women in these Hall of Fames have great achievements to even be discussed about and then to enter in, not everything about them was great. I'll give you a couple examples. Anybody know who this man is? That is Wilt Chamberlain. Um, I won't tell you how old I was when he was playing because it's in the negatives. But Wilt Chamberlain is one of seven players to score over 30,000 points in his NBA career. Uh, he stood seven foot one. He averaged 30.1 points per game for his career, 22.9 rebounds. Uh, this is a picture from when he scored 100 points in, the ga- in a game, a single game. Uh, this is the record for most points scored in the NBA game. I think the closest we've gotten is 81 points uh, about 15 or so years ago by Kobe Bryant. Um, but Will Chamberlain, he is in like everyone's top 10 list of greatest players of all time. Uh, he's fantastic, a lot of stats. You know what's interesting about him, though? For all the, the great things and all his great stats, he's missed more free throws than any player in history. 5,800 free throws. There's the word free in free throws for a reason, okay? Something about the tall guys with big hands. I, you ever go to the arcades and play the little pop-a-shot game? I guess that that's what it feels like for the big guys when they shoot free throws. But 5,800 free throws. But you know what? Nobody cares. Nobody cares he missed that many. Why? Because he was really good at everything else. He scored a bunch of points. Let me give you another example. If you're a baseball fan, you know who this is. Who said that? That's right. Reggie, Reggie Jackson, I heard a, Reggie Jackson, Reggie Jackson played for the Athletics, the Angels, the Yankees. He hit 563 home runs in his career. Great. Okay, a lot of splash plays. He has the most strikeouts of all time. 2,597. He only hit over 300 percentage once in his career. And you know what? Nobody cares. Because he hit a lot of home runs. Um, We like the people. Both of those guys are legends. They're beloved by their sports fans. We like the guys or the girls who make splash plays, who score a lot, um, who wow us. And we overlook some of their weaknesses because of the things they did, because of their strengths. But what's interesting about that is we do the opposite of that spiritually, don't we? Like we look at people and we look at ourselves and we see the good and the bad. And which one do we focus on? The bad. We ignore the successes, the highlights, the good, and we look at the failures, the mistakes, the low points. Uh, We're the opposite spiritually. We do that in our own lives. We do that with Bible characters. And that's true of our man tonight, uh, who is Samson. Tonight we're looking at Samson. Um, I hadn't, there's a preacher who preaches in Dixon, Tennessee. and he preached uh, this very series we're doing. And he called it the Hall of Flaw. Because every person in the hall is flawed. And I didn't know this till this week. So 
but it's great material if you ever want to go listen to his sermons. His name's Chris McCurley. He was in Abilene at Oldham Lane Church of Christ when he went through this series at the time. But he called it the Hall of Flaw, which is great because in Hebrews 11, it, it doesn't speak of their failures, only their faith. But yet all of these people were flawed. And Samson absolutely fits that description. Uh, this is what Hebrews 11 says about Samson. This is the same verse we've looked at for a few weeks in a row about these people. Uh, this extra time as the preacher or the writer is just mentioning a few people at once, just barraging you with examples. What more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, that could be Samson, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, Samson, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Samson's listed here as a man of faith, and that is quite surprising, to be honest with you. Do you know why that's surprising or why I say it's surprising that Samson is mentioned? <laughs> Learn about the guy. Because when you read his story, you would go, really, that's where he's mentioned? What do you remember most about the story of Samson? What's the number one thing people think of? Samson. He was really strong. And what else do you think about? I'm a great example of it. Long, flowing locks, right? Just uh, of hair. Uh, that's what we think of. But when you read the four chapters in Judges, Judges 13 through 17, and if you want to turn your Bibles there, that's where we're going to be. You read his story, and you go, how in the world is this guy mentioned next to Abraham? How is he mentioned next to Moses? How is he mentioned next to Noah or Joseph? If you know anything about his story, it will shock you. I'll be honest with you. If it were up to me, I wouldn't have put Samson in the Hall of Faith off first glance. You probably wouldn't have put Samson in the Hall of Faith. To be honest, in 2023, some of us would question his salvation. But yet, God put him there. It doesn't really matter what we think of the guy. It matters what God thought of the man. And God puts him in the Hall of Faith. And so, uh, we need to study this man. And at the end, we'll apply some of these things to us. Tonight won't be as much of application about what we learn about faith as much as maybe we learn about us as people and God and our relationship with him. So, if you want to start with me uh, in Judges uh, 13, if you remember, we're in Judges, which the people of Israel sin, they fall away, uh, they choose idolatry, they get put into oppression because of it, God gives them over to the choices they want to make, they cry out eventually, God raises up a judge to enact justice to save them from their situation, there's a time of peace, and then we start the cycle over again, we've looked at a few Judges uh, for that. Samson was one of these judges that was raised up. Um, Israel had been oppressed 40 years by the Philistines uh, when, when he is raised up. The Philistines are a familiar enemy of Israel in the Old Testament. You know, we think of David and Goliath, we think of the Philistines. Uh, the Philistines were a people from the coast of Canaan who settled mostly in five cities with five lords or kings over them. This is Joshua 13 talking about how they didn't remove these people from the land. And if you notice the underlying phrases, this is the land that yet remains, all the regions of the Philistines. And then if you jump down to the next underlying phrase, there are five rulers of the Philistines, those of Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron. 
So there's like these five cities with five lords, and they controlled their own territory. But when it was a time of crisis in the nation, they would come together and work together. Uh, that applies to Samson because Samson is such a nuisance to them. At some point, they come together and try to take care of Samson. But in Judges 13, if you want to look at verse 1, let's read verse 1 to verse 7. It says, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There's that cycle. There was a certain man of Zorah, of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean, for behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name, but he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. He's a judge, and from the very beginning of Samson's story, we see that he is chosen by God for a special purpose. He is born with great uh, purpose from the very beginning to be a judge. And you see this purpose by God coming or an angel of the Lord coming and speaking to them. But what was, what's interesting there to note is the Nazarite vow. Does anyone know what, what a Nazarite vow is or was? You said don't shave your head? Sorry, God. <laughs> uh, don't shave your head. Anyone else know the other parts of it? Don't drink any wine or strong drink. In fact, I read something about don't even touch the skin of a grape. I mean, it was that uh, unclean. There's one other part. You remember? Anybody? Uh, I, that could be. I'm not sure. I think clearly it would talk about not breaking laws in that way. But the main thing was the, the strong drink, the not shave the head, don't touch a dead body or a corpse. Those were the three big things that you see. Uh, Numbers chapter 6 talks about this in verse 1 through 8. Um, I, we don't have to read all that together, but if you kind of notice, it's this special vow that an Israelite would make to God and to separate themselves. And the three things were those that we just talked about. Uh, and so all the days, if you look towards the end, all the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body, not even for his father or his mother, his brother, sister. If they die, he shall make himself unclean because his separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation, he is holy to the Lord. So this was a vow they made. It was a serious vow that they were to take. And so for this chosen purpose for Samson, he's a Nazarite vow. And I tell you that because Samson would break his vow in multiple ways. Samson would break his vow. Um, he's most remembered for what? Strong guy. You know, I, I always wondered, when, when you see pictures of Samson, like in Bible class for a kid or on poster boards, how does he look? Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. So when I think of Samson, I think of like the action stars of our movies. It's interesting how we all have a different one for our generation. Some of you, it's the get in the chopper guy. Uh, for some of you, it's Sylvester Stallone. It's Liam Neeson. It's one of the superhero guys. Samson kind of fits that bill. And when you look at a picture of him, that's what we think of, right? Muscles, long hair, Fabio. Okay. Samson looks like Fabio. Um, we really don't know what he looked like, but he was very strong. Uh, very strong. But where does strength come from? 
Okay, that's a trick question. It came from God. Remember, if you, when we read this story over and over again, you find the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, or the strength of the Lord rushed upon him. Uh, his hair was a sign, but the source was God of his strength. Because when God leaves him, he doesn't have that strength anymore. There are many feats of strength, and we're not reading all this for time's sake, um, but there are many feats of strength in this story. For example, he defeats a, lung, a young lion with his bare hands in, in verse 5 and 6 of chapter 14. Uh, can you imagine that? Just a lion walking up upon you, um, and he, he kills it by himself with his bare hands. He once struck down 30 men by himself. You know, 1 verse 30, he struck all of them down. He struck them down because... He had made a riddle with them and a wager, and his wife told them the answer, and he got so angry that they had coerced his wife into telling them the answer, he killed all 30 of them by himself. Uh, he was strong. Um, the 30 people he killed were Philistines. Another time, his father-in-law gives away the woman he wanted to marry to his companion. We might compare it to a best man. And he gets so angry at that that he captures 300 foxes. He ties them together with torches, and then he sends them off into all the Philistines' farms of stacked grain, standing grain, and orchards. First of all, we talked about the movie theater uh, like a month ago of things you want to see happen. 300 foxes. How long do you think that took? Like, where do you even get the bait? How do you do that? I don't know. Uh, But 300 foxes he catches. How angry do you have to be, by the way, to catch 300 foxes to burn someone's stuff down? Uh, He's a man of great strength, though. Uh, there's another time where the men of Judah are forced to turn Samson in or else. And he tells them, hey, as long as you don't attack me, that's fine. He breaks through two bound ropes and he kills a thousand men with a fresh uh, jawbone of a donkey. A thousand people with a jawbone. That sounds like the movie theater stuff. Um, and then at the end of his life, when he gets his strength back, that we'll see, he kills 3,000 Philistines by collapsing a house, by pushing it, the pillars over. God used his strength to accomplish incredible feats, to accomplish his purpose of redeeming Israel from the oppression of the Philistines. God used Samson to enact justice. But as you look at the life of Samson, you don't look there and say, wow, what a man of faith. You have to look pretty hard to find the faith. Um, But God used him and saw something good in him. Um, And if you want to see evidence of faith, look at some of these instances of enforcing justice and fulfilling God's purpose. But while he's known for his strength, there's plenty of sin. For example, look at chapters 14, verse 1 through 4. This is the first time we are introduced to Samson as, you know, there's the he's going to be chosen. But now we get to his life, and this is the first thing you read of him. Samson went down to Timnah. And at Timnah, he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Okay, let's pause for a second. Ladies, how would that sound to you? (laughs) The guy just goes, hey, she looks good. Get her for me. I'm sure that would woo you over really well. You know, it's like you can at least buy me flowers or something first. Different times, I guess. Um, But yet, what's an issue you see from the start there? With Samson? Arrogance? Yeah, you're going to see that quite a bit. That fits. What else is an issue here? What? Uh, He sounds like a brat. Yeah. I think you're right. 
the Philistines? Yeah, like he's going after a woman of an idolatrous people who you're actually raised up to fight against. That seems to be an issue. Also, what's leading him in this moment? It, lust, lust and eyes. It doesn't seem like he has the best um, requirements or uh, priorities for marriage. I mean, I'm not saying that being attracted is a bad thing, but it seems like he, he's not really thinking about what's best. Um, he's just thinking with his eyes. Paul? A dull instrument. He makes like really stupid decisions by anybody's standard. Like even if he wasn't gifted or blessed by God to do anything special, he's trying to marry a Philistine woman. He's you know he lets his mouth run. Yeah, you're like, what are you doing, man? Is it arrogance? Is it whatever? Now here's the interesting thing: is God uses this for His own good to enact justice. If we keep reading. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives, or among all our people, see there's some of that, that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? That word uncircumcised basically means someone who's not one of God's people. You want to go find her? Uh, But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord. For he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. So, it seems like a bad choice and a dumb choice. And it seems like it doesn't fit what God wants. But yet, God uses it for his glory. Which is interesting. You ever had a mistake in your life that God somehow worked to produce something good out of it? Um, maybe that applies here. But yet, we see a guy who, he's led with the wrong things. For example, look at Judges chapter 16. He's got an issue with women. Um, not like against women, but just they seem to be a temptation for him, as it is many men. And here, look at Judges chapter 16. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. Okay, pause. Gaza was 25 miles away from his hometown. He does not drive a pickup. There's no Uber. He walked 25 miles to do what? Why would he do that? Don't answer that. We all know why he would go do that. Um, but that's a long walk. And you might think, why would you do that? But haven't all of us been attracted or enticed by sin and walked towards it? I'm not saying it's this one. Could be. But yet, you've, you've been attracted and it's one step at a time. Which, you know, we don't tend to get into sins. Um, just go into the deep end right away, isn't it? Kind of step by step into it. And we, we see that with Samson too. But yet, you have this Philistine woman. Then you see him here with this prostitute. Gaza is a headquarters for who? The Philistines. So he goes into the enemy headquarters and he sleeps with a prostitute um, because he's attracted to sin and he makes bad decisions. But maybe the most puzzling of all of his decisions is... His relationship with Delilah. Um, Look at verse 4. I don't have this on the screen, so you have to follow along because it's a big text. We're going to just read the rest of this text in in Judges chapter 16, verses 4, essentially to the end. Uh, So follow along with me in verse 4. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him. And see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. 
So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound, that one could subdue you. Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. If we pause just for a second. Would that seem fishy to you? For uh, your companion, the person you're in a relationship with. I don't know how we want to describe this. But um, for them to ask about this. Part of me says no. Because just imagine if you're dating somebody. You'd be like, hey, you're really strong. How do you do that? But what gets fishy about it? The fact that right after they do the very thing you, you say. Okay, keep, keep reading. Verse 10. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If they bind me with new robes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in an inner chamber. But he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Okay, pause again. How would you describe Samson? Dumb. <laughs> Someone said dumb. Okay. What? A, a gober pile? What is that? A go, I can't hear what you're saying. Gomer pile? I don't even know what that is, to be honest with you. Uh, what's a go? What is that a movie? Huh? Yeah, I don't know what that is. So sorry about you. I guess I have a TV show to watch. I don't know. Um, would you say he's foolish? Would, would you say he's arrogant? Because why are you even playing this game? Um, for an example, um, if you keep looking, notice what it says as we keep reading in verse thirteen. Then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks on his head and wove them into the web. And she made them tight with the pin and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pin, the loom, and the web. He's still playing this game with her. Um, and it, we don't really understand why that he's doing this. Also, why would you continue to associate with someone who seems to have an agenda? Who has a... Like, what, what's the purpose of this? Yeah. You know, it's like you need a little bit more of a fix to, to get a rise. To the ego out of control. That's what pride is, right? Yeah. Making it more and more dangerous, you know, like the, he's taking the risks to get that that high or whatever, you know, the ramp you jump a ramp over hundred feet ten times, it's not exciting anymore. We gotta go two hundred feet. Yeah. So I think he's just Well can he, what can he get away with? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that your, your ego and your head's going to swell up. So uh, 
He gets but a kick out of it. The question in his mind is, well, how much strength do I have? How far can I push this? Where, what are the limits of this? Yeah. By, by doing that, in essence, in my head, you're, you're, yes, you're testing God, but you're Yeah. So he, sorry, so he keeps going. Uh, and here's, he gets hit with the line. I don't know if you've ever been hit with this line. Look at verse 15. And she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? Here's how we might say that today. You know, if you really love me, you tell me. I don't know if you get that from your spouse or anything. Like, if you really love me, you'd pick up this thing or you'd go clean the yard or you'd mow it. I don't know. Uh, you, you probably got hit with something. Uh, but he's getting hit with it. You've mocked me three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her word day after day, <laughs> what does that mean? She nagged. She just kept talking. And he's like, okay, I give up. Women, you are powerful. <laughs> you can do great things. Um, no, but he says, she pressed him hard, verse 16, with her words day after day, urged him. His soul was vexed to death. He was nagged to death. I mean, that's, that's how it works. And he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands, She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged his eyes out, brought him down to Gaza, and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground uh, at the mill in the prison, but the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. So he plays this game, and eventually he tells her, in this moment of weakness, there goes his eyes. This thing that had led him to a lot of terrible decisions in his life, ironically, get gouged out, and he is now a prisoner of this enemy that has, he is. He's done a lot of damage to, and they've done a lot of damage to his people. And then we look at, and so this is kind of this just puzzling relationship with Delilah. Um, and you, you see a prideful man even to the end in a way. Look at verse 23 and we'll finish out this chapter. The lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their God and to rejoice. And they said, our God has given Samson our enemy into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. And now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof there was about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Verse 28, Then the Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. When Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, he leaned his weight against them, 
his right hand on the one, his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were, no, were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down, took him, and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol, in the tomb of Manoah his father. He judged Israel twenty years. So at the end, you get this. His hair grows back, the vow starts, and the strength comes back. He decides to sacrifice himself to judge, enact justice. Um, you kind of see a moment of redemption in a way here, like you know he's he's doing this thing for God. But even at the end, do you see some pride? Notice what he said when he wanted God to give him strength. Um, Starting in verse 28. O Lord God, please remember me. Please strengthen me this once that that I may be avenged for my eyes. Not to do your work or for what they've done to you or for serving the wrong God. Anything like that. It's... Let me be avenged. Even at the end, it's, it's kind of bittersweet. It's like he seems to have this redeeming quality, but even at the end you see some of the, the qualities and characteristics that we've seen throughout the story. And as we pause right there, I know we didn't read all of that. Do you see more faith or do you see more flaws? He, you see a lot more flaws, don't you? You see a man and you read it and you, you don't leave with a good taste in your mouth. Like you leave wanting more. And then you get to Hebrews and the Hebrew writer says, you know, all these died in faith, not having received the promises yet. And he mentions Samson as one who lived by faith. And we might not think highly of Samson. It doesn't matter what you and I think. It matters what God thinks of the man. And he put him in that chapter. But I believe there are a few things for you and I to, to maybe take away from this. And I, I really do think this is, this is the, maybe the most encouraging person that we've studied. Everyone has, I think, a different person that encourages them more or their story resonates with them more. But he might be the most encouraging person that you will study in this entire chapter just from this standpoint. If Samson can make it, so can you. If Samson can make the hall of faith, if Samson can be called faithful, if Samson, if God can look at him and feel this way about him, if Samson can make it, so can you and so can I. All of these people that we've studied were flawed. They had sin, big or small, you know, a lot or little. And when it comes to Samson, we have to look really hard to find the good. There is much more bad than there is good recorded in his story. I don't think any of us would put him in the hall of faith. We might question his salvation. We might question why uh, he's even considered faithful, but yet God thought him faithful. And I think that should be a great encouragement to you and I. If he can make it, so can we. God can use anybody. Anybody. Do we believe that? Because this chapter is an example of that. We've, I mean, Rahab, right? Here's Samson. There's just a bunch of different people that maybe we would look at and say, how, how could God use that person? God doesn't feel that way. As one preacher put it, God sees treasure in what we might see as trash. You know, I think for some of us, we look at the mistakes Samson made and we want to go put him on the curb at Big Trash Pickup Day. That's not the way God treated him. God saw him as valuable and useful. 
And that's the truth for you and I. Like, I don't know your life story per se, and you don't know all mine, but I'm sure all of us have some pretty dark and nasty things we've done on our ledger. We have some sins, some things in our past. God can still use us. God can redeem us. God can still find us faithful, even though we've done things that we're not proud of. He, he can see us and find value. We start at the beginning with Reggie Jackson and Wilt Chamberlain. Man missed 6,000 points. The other guy struck out over 2,500 times, and yet they're in the Hall of Fame. For you and I, when you think about your spiritual walk, I know sin is convicting, and I know we want to get it out of our lives, and that's a design of God to give us a conscience. But do we look at our successes too? It's hard, isn't it? We just look at where I messed up with a relationship or my family or with my kids or when I was a dumb 18-year-old or you go down the list. You know, I, I didn't know what I was doing or I did know what I was doing and I regret it. But you are not so far gone that God can't A, save you or B, use you. That's a lesson from Samson. I hope that encourages you and encourages me. I, I don't know about you, but do you ever feel like a mess up daily? I'm just a mess. I don't know how. Samson made it. And if if God says that about him, what does that mean for you and I? But if we keep going, I think here's another big lesson. Faith does something. This is the one aspect of faith we can take from him. He did something, didn't he? He did a lot of things. He did a lot of killing. I mean, he did a lot of the justice God asked for him to do. Every person in this chapter has that in common. Abel offered. Enoch walked. Abraham obeyed. Abraham offered. Noah built. Isaac blessed. Jacob blessed. Moses refused. Rahab hid. They all had a verb. Faith is a verb. Faith does something. You see that with Samson too. Have you ever heard a lawn chair, Larry? The guy with the balloons. Um, Larry Walters. Saying, I think it was San Pedro, California. Uh, He dreamed of being a pilot since he was a young boy. Um, When he was 13, he saw weather balloons and he had an idea. But when he was 32, he attached 43 uh, weather balloons to his lawn chair. He planned to go 30 feet in the air. That was his plan. He wanted to see things from a different perspective, you know, kind of float over the neighborhood. I think he said something like if it went well, he'd float over the Mojave Desert. Just like 30 feet in the the air. He packed sandwiches and beer. He had a pellet gun with him to shoot the balloons as he would travel. Like that's what, that's what it says about him. He had like a walkie talkie to radio people, which came in handy later. Um, he prematurely took off. He went much higher than anticipated. He went 16,000 feet in the air. Strapped into a, just a, uh, it's like a lawn chair. First of all, can you imagine that? He was spotted by two commercial aircraft carriers. Thank you for flying Southwest today. If you look at your left side, there's Larry. You know, like, can you imagine that? That's, that's Lawn Chair Larry. That's three miles. Um, so he's, I think he was up in the air to- for a total of like two hours. Some of you are like, this is my worst fear come to life. Uh, after 45 minutes in the air, he, he realized, like, I'm going to have to shoot some of these balloons. He was weary of that because the balance, you know, of teeter and tottering. And he's, he was really strapped in, as you can kind of see. Um, but he starts to shoot a few, but he dropped his pellet gun when he shook. 
thankfully, his balloon started to leak helium. So he started to descend. Um, as that was after 45 minutes in the air, he starts to descend. Um, he ended up in federal airspace, like over LAX. He was arrested. He was arrested when he landed. And when they asked him why he did it afterwards, he said this. A guy has to do something. He can't just sit in his backyard all day. That's awesome, isn't it? But he said, a guy, a guy has to do something. Faith has to do something, doesn't it? It can't just sit. It can't just be still. It's got to move, right? It's got to lead you to do something. If it doesn't lead you to do anything, is it really faith? That's what we see with Samson. Larry, what Larry said, actually, that'll preach. You know, faith moves. Faith does something. Um, We've seen that in this chapter over and over again. A collective group of people who are flawed, but yet they have faith. They move for God. They stretch. They don't sit still. Um, They weren't playing it safe. They went for it. They trusted. And they were... They're rewarded for it. Uh, but then lastly, and this is the last one I took, and we'll probably have some time left over for any comments or questions, is that I, I read this story, and it reminds me that Jesus is the real hero of the faith. These people might have been looked up to by all these Jewish individuals, but they're all flawed, and they're all lacking. And we haven't really talked about Hebrews in general since the first week, but the main message of Hebrews is Jesus is better. He's better than the old law. He's better than the priests. He's better than those sacrifices. He's better, he's better even than these individuals that you look up to so highly. He's better in every way. Um, Samson kind of leaves you wanting a little more. Well, Jesus is the more. Um, he's the real hero of the faith who lives sinlessly, and that's why we look to him. Um, he's the one we turn to. In, in Hebrews chapter 12, at the beginning of Hebrews 12, I don't have this on the screen. I'll, I'll turn there in just a second. But he mentions all of these individuals that we've studied. And we'll talk about this the last week we do this again. But in Hebrews 12, it says in verse 1, After talking about all of these people, though commended through their faith, chapter 11, verse 39, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that's all the people we've been studying, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. These people live by faith, but please don't misunderstand. That's the person you look to. These men and women can encourage us, and they're an example to cheer us on. That's what the Hebrew writer kind of describes. But Jesus is the the goal. Jesus is the one we look to who's working on our faith, helping us to get there. He's the hero. And it just reminds me, as I look at a man who God considered as faithful, that I'm really looking to someone else, and that's Jesus. So that's what I take away from Samson, and I pray that encourages you and you get something out of it. And there's seven minutes left, and listen, if you want to end early and uh, just chat, I know you'll love that. But does anyone have a comment or a thought or a question? Don? Uh, I think we should know that in the end, and I don't know how often you did this during the but, but he called on the Lord. In Romans 10 tells us, those who call on the Lord will be saved. 
and it's talking about an ongoing, it's not talking about that one time yet. Yeah. You already told us three chapters earlier how we get into Christ. Yeah. But that calling on the name of the Lord is, is constant. Okay. I contrast that to finish to what not calling on the Lord is. And not calling on the Lord is saying, well, I've been baptized. And I see my sins and I'm struggling with sin. And, oh, here's this sin. But I'm going to church. I'm faithful enough to go to heaven. I'm doing this. Oh, I'm, I'm doing some stuff in the church. I'm, I must be faithful enough to go to heaven. Well, you might be turned out to be a tear if you're doing that. You're, you're, they fell short because they were, they were uh, the, the Old Testament people fell short because they were trying to work their way to heaven. They didn't, they didn't arrive at faith. With those who realize their sin and call on the Lord, I mean, that's why we say, that's why we say our prayers in the name of Jesus. The Father came and hear us if we don't say in the name of Jesus. And I don't mean that as a key. I mean that is because You've got sin in your life, and without that, without Jesus taking that sin away, you can't even have a relationship with the Father. It's not a key. It's, it's, we're saying the name of Jesus because we said, you know what? I was thinking about this just before I got ready to pray for my food. This was all going through my head. That's why I'm saying the name, name of Jesus. He? Blessing for my food at any other time that I'm talking to him throughout the day. Yeah. Sorry, I wasn't trying to interrupt you right there earlier. Um, he, he did have some good about him. You know, like we talked earlier in Hebrews 11 about. Um, you know, those who believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. He's just definitely someone who believes God existed. I mean, he acted for him. Uh, he calls upon him. There is some of those traits. And so you see that. There is a faith there um, that he relied upon God for those things. So there, there are some good things that, that show, you know, there is a faith there. There might be a lot of other things, but there is, there is that shown for sure. Um, who else? Anybody else? Marty? We can't go to class without you making a comment. I knew you had one. Come on. It's awful, isn't it? No. I, I like what you said, that he's the most encouraging, perhaps, of all these guys because of, of who he is and how he behaves. And when you couple that with the fact that he was no accident, God sent an angel to Manoah to say, you're going to have a boy. And he didn't say, this boy's going to be a, a paragon of spirituality. He's going to be teaching everybody about me everywhere he goes. He's going to be quoting my scriptures, whatever the scriptures might have been for him. Anyway, he didn't say that. He said he's going to send you a boy, and he's going to be somebody that I'm going to use. And that's what it says. What is it here? Chapter 14, verse 4. However, his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, for he was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. God was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. Samson was to get it done. And of all the gods Samson could have called on, because he was messing around with these Philistine women, he could have called on Dagon and they, as well. And they had three gods that they would worship to. Right. Yeah. He only called on the true and living. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, you don't, you don't have kids yet, but when you will, you'll figure out how committed you are to your children, and no matter how bad they might get, the fight for you is awful. <laughs> And cut that recording. Cut that recording. Cut that recording. I'm kidding. But no matter what your children do, you don't write them off. Mm-hmm. And, and especially if they ever turn around and, and would say, man, I'm sorry, then everything's back. It, it's like the prodigal son that Jesus talked about. The father. Yeah. That boy came back and he wasn't a second hand uh, son anymore. He was, they threw a party for him. He killed a fat cat. Yeah. Good thoughts. I like that. Yeah, good thoughts. Oh, it's something I've been struggling with for a long time that the, the story of Samson makes me think about. Um, 
I, I guess it's two questions more than anything else. The first one is, have you ever learned more from a boss that you did not like or respect than from a boss that you did like and respect? And I'd have to say that I have, and I don't have forever to tell stories about it, but yeah. when I was thinking about that, it made me think of another, what I think is a more important question, is have, have you ever heard a scripturally accurate sermon from a preacher you did not like. What are you trying to say? No, no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just, kidding. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just saying, the other day, my mom was watching one of those TV preachers, and I don't like yeah. the TV preachers, which is very, I should never group anybody together like that. And it was a good, I really enjoyed the lesson, and I read some of his references later. That's really good. And I, I judged the guy before I heard what he had to say. And I, I've known people who have moved from one church to the next because they did not like the people in charge with no regard to whether or not what that person was saying was true or false. Yeah. Well, the first one is, I think, absolutely true that we learn from negative examples just like we learn from positive. And God has plenty of both in Scripture. second one is a little different from Samson, but um, truth is truth no matter who says it. You know, it doesn't matter the source. We learn differently from it, but maybe there are things we don't emulate or take, but truth is truth. Even sources you might not expect can still speak truth. But, um, all right, we'll go here and then, did you have something? We'll go here and then here and then we'll end it. We'll swap real quick. Great question. Great question. I don't know if it's that he doesn't want to live blind or if he is just, yeah, or if he just sees this is the moment and this is how I can do it because there's not a way out of here otherwise in his head. I don't know. Preston? I like what you said about the guy in the lawn chair, about the guy had to do something. You said that'll preach. And then you talked about uh, faith. You get, it's a verse. And then I got to thinking about Hebrews 5 and 8 where Jesus learned obedience. And I think we've got a couple that faith with, with the action, but it has to be obedient faith. Yeah. And what God wants us to do instead of, you know, if we're doing something, does it align with what we're, we're getting out of the Bible? Yeah, no, it's a good point. It's like, they're flawed, they have sin, but at the same time, we see faith and obedience have this relationship together that it's hard, you can't just tear them apart. Um, I think that's a good point. Anyway, Lawn Chair Larry. Remember him. I'm sorry we are out of time, so the kids are coming to overrun us. Thanks for being here.